Hi, welcome to Plenty. I am so excited to introduce you to a guest that I have today. She has been a friend of mine for over a decade. We've seen each other through a lot of seasons in life and her name is Elizabeth D'Alto. She runs the School of Sacred Embodiment. She is the host of the Embodied Podcast. She's a mystic and she teaches us how to live an embodied life, how to live a sacred life. And in this episode, we talk about what to do when you feel like you're really different than the rest of your family, um, how she learned about God and where she found her connection to spirit, her connection to soul, her connection to the sacred. We talk about what embodiment actually means, how we can bring the sacred into our relationship with money, and so much more. Elizabeth is soulful, she's funny, she made me cry at the end with her answer to my final question, and I think you are going to find this conversation as yummy as I did, so enjoy. Welcome to Plenty. I'm your host, Kate Northrup, and together we are going on a journey to help you have an incredible relationship with money, time, and energy, and to have abundance on every possible level. Every week, we're going to dive in with experts and insights to help you unlock a life of plenty. Let's go fill our cups. Please note that the opinions and perspectives of guests on the Plenty Podcast are not necessarily reflective of the opinions and perspectives of Kate Northrup or anyone who works within the Kate Northrup brand. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited. Okay, so when I met you, so I think it's really interesting how you've always been a body person, but in like a very different way Mm -hmm. than now. Well, maybe not so different. I don't know. You tell me. But when I met you... We were like in early days of our business. I really, think we connected days. in 2011, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And you were selling a program called Tighter in 10. Yes. Which I still think is like, I know that that's not what you're doing right now and it's perfect. I also just love the name. Marie Fort, like, it's so. I did not. Oh, you didn't. Marie really. Okay. She was the that mastermind was, behind the name. That was Marie. Anyway. Yeah. But it's. I wanted to create a jump start. And of course, Marie was like, no one's laying in bed at night thinking they need to jumpstart their body. And I'm like, she's right. <laughs> uh, okay. And we're going to talk about just sort of like our own journey, specifically yours, because this is about you, um, of learning about marketing and like the ways in which marketing and mysticism like may or may not mix. But for you, it's always been about the body, even when it was back in the day when you were a personal trainer, yep. right? And you were selling online digital um like fitness programs. Yes. Okay. What happened? (laughs) So many things, but what happened? Like, was there a moment when you realized like I'm selling online digital courses about like fitness and you knew you needed to go a different direction because it's like really different than what you do now, you know? Well, I mean, it's the same. It's about the body, but so I want to know about like, what were some of the turn of events that took you from tighter in 10 to the school of sacred embodiment. So it's actually one big distinct moment, but it was leading up to this because in 2012, so I did Marie's Mastermind in 2011 when Tighter in 10 Days was born and um, I was still working as a personal trainer up through 2012 at a little boutique studio in the West Village in New York City. And at the same time, I was also getting into studying energy work and psychology and human behavior. So I had done my first two Reiki attunements and I had created a class for the studio that I worked in called Aspire. It was a lower body conditioning class. It was A-S asterisk P-I-R-E. That's amazing. Right? So, um, and the owner of the studio had worked at like Equinox and all these kind of fancy places in New York City and the clientele was kind of upscale and you know me, you know I'm not a fancy person so I always felt a little bit out of place there. But I had some wonderful clients and the studio owner, someone from Marie Claire, reached out and wanted to create a video, like a little snippet of my class for the website. 
And so, you know, me, my spunky little make my own videos, whatever, I just like brought my little camera, my tripod, I like shot the little snippet, I sent it to the owner of the studio, I was like, I made the video, and he was like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, you didn't. Like, I hired like a film crew and hair and makeup, and I'm okay. gonna train you for the next month, which, by the way, let's zoom out on that, because that was part of it. At that point, I was in the best shape of my life, and I put that in air quotes because best shape by societal standards, right? And I mean, I had my own visible abs. And as an Italian and Puerto Rican person, I always like to emphasize, do you know how hard it was for me to obtain visible abs? So, um, but even so, on the day of the video shoot, they put so much makeup on my face, you couldn't see my freckles. Oh. An amount of lip gloss that I wouldn't even wear to a club, let alone the gym. They straightened, I wrote this on my website once, and I was like, they straightened my curls within an inch of their bouncy life. <laughs> and, um, and then they painted contour lines on my stomach. And I was like, can I curse on your show? Yes. yes. I was like, fuck this. Yeah. And, but also, like, during that whole day, that whole afternoon that this was all happening, I was just realizing that I was more contributing to what I was trying to help combat, right? Because for me, fitness, the body was always about feeling strong, right? Feeling powerful, feeling connected to yourself in, in a way that made you feel more confident, you know? And... So these things kind of coalesced. I was getting more into energy work, human behavior, psychology. I was having these insulting experiences and, and questioning if I was contributing to an industry that I could no longer really get behind. And so, and then I, later that year, moved out of my apartment in New York City. Early January 2013, I moved to California. And so going from like the concrete jungle and being an East Coaster to now being in this like vast nature with the ocean and all of the good smells. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing. Like yes. I was just in New York a couple weeks ago and it was like, God, the smells. Stinky. Is the, like the number one thing I don't miss about New York City is the smells. You go to California, there's like jasmine. You're like walking by Bougainvillea. I don't know if that's how you say that because I always just guess. But it's like everything is beautiful and bright and there's space. And things just really started to shift and open up for me. And also in the year 2012, in the Lord's year 2012, um, <laughs> I started doing healing work, like receiving healing work and realizing like, oh, there's a lot of stuff under the hood here that needs to be unpacked. And as well, I stumbled into just a couple of books that were such an invitation to connect with a part of myself that I hadn't before which was a bit of a tangent off of, in the very last retreat in Marie's Mastermind, one bit of feedback I got from the group, which, you know, over a decade later, I'm like, whatever, but was that I was too masculine. And so I became very interested about, interested, like a lot of people, I'm yeah. sure people listening have like gone on the journey of like, what's my feminine energy? And, you know, I do that and it kind of like makes me roll my eyes and kind of poke a little fun at it tongue in cheek now. It's an important thing yeah. for everyone uh, on a level, if that's something that you resonate with, why not integrate your masculine and feminine, but so much of the messaging around it is basically just like, uh, do we want to just be you know, weapons and tools of patriarchy, but make it cute. <laughs> <laughs> so I was starting to read books like Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Nicola Estes, and I connected with the wild woman archetype. At the same time, I discovered um, the Hindu goddess Durga. I was reading a book by a woman named Sally Kempton, who actually passed away recently, um, called Awakening Shakti. And so I had been holding on to this, I'm not feminine enough, whatever, what the fuck does that even mean? And then I get to the chapter on Durga, and there she is riding a lion with eight arms with a different implement in every arm. And some of them are weapons, and, but there's also a lotus flower. There's also prayer beads. And I'm like, this warrior, goddess, multi-dynamic, I love you, but don't fuck with me energy. I'm like, oh, I've actually always been feminine. It's just I don't fall into one of the like three or four boxes that you know society at large goes this, these are acceptable right which are essentially made in mother whore 
Yeah. Not that horror is even acceptable, but it's just widely acknowledged. Yeah, but it, it yes, it, it, it exists. Yes. And it gets to, well, yeah, it gets on a who lot of airtime. So Certainly in marketing, like if we're talking about it from the perspective of just like marketing our sexuality. Exactly. So, even though I am not saying if you are a sexual woman, you are a whore, obviously. Right, right. No, no, no. But like, again, that's like that, that, that singular dynamic of that, right? Like, there's one of my favorite essays that I actually have everyone in my sacred embodiment specialist training read every year is called Uses of the Erotic, The ah. Erotic as Power by Audre Lorde, which was handed to me by one of my mentors, Rie Katagiri, um, whose erotic movement arts training I did when I was in LA. And like, that's like, yes, let's like, let's build out this archetype. Like, let's see all the different dynamic ways and the layers mm -hmm. that erotic energy really moves and works through us. Um, outside of like, again, the patriarchalized version of it. So all those things within like a year and a half, we're kind of coming together at the same time. And then I ended a relationship and I was in California, essentially on my own. Uh, and so that just kind of started me out. I, I just felt like I had different options and I couldn't not like pull the threads and see where it was gonna take me. Right. So, Did you grow up, I mean, I know the answer to this question. <laughs> like, I want folks listening to know. One of the things I'm most fascinated by, because you know I grew up in a household that's like pretty spiritual and believes in a lot of things and like energy work was like totally normal and we talked to trees and that was part of the deal. Um, and so I'm endlessly fascinated by folks like yourself who have come to their own connection with soul, spirit. You know, you describe, you are self-described as a mystic without being raised in that environment, that like it found them or they found it on their own. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the soup you were raised in and, the, and like what you've learned yourself out here on the streets of the world, <laughs> outside your family conditioning about God or, you know. It's a great question. What'd you learn on the streets about God? Um, <laughs> What'd you learn about the street about God? Yeah. Um, well, the soup I was raised in was the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. in Staten Island, New York, everyone's favorite borough. And uh, you know what's interesting is, you would ask me when I got in here before we started filming, um, what's my pendant is Mary Magdalene. And when I was little, I remember every Easter we'd watch that damn, I forget the name of it, there was some Easter movie. And I distinctly remember being like a very small child and, and wondering, what is the difference between these two Marys? Like, they're very rude to that one and they really love this one, right? Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. And then, you know, many years later, again, 2012, that same friggin' year, I'm reading your friend Megan Watterson's book, Reveal, and she mentions Mary Magdalene, and I remember thinking that as a small child. And I was like, ooh. And then I started tugging the Mary Magdalene thread. But, um, you know, we were, you know, go to church every week, Catholics. I went to public school, not Catholic school, so I went to CCD which, you know, for people who don't know, I don't remember what the letters stand for, but catechism, I'm sure, is one of them, where, you know, on Wednesday afternoons, you get to walk across the street because my public school, PS29, was across the street from my church, St. Teresa's. You and a bunch of your friends walk across the street and you go get your Catholic lesson for the week okay. so that you can, like, make your sacraments. You know, your Holy Communion in second grade, your Confirmation in seventh grade. And, um, you know, so that's what I grew up with. I grew up with a bunch of rules and religion. But for me, I was always kind of taking what I vibed with and ditching what I didn't, which my mom was not a fan of. I remember my mom being like, you can't just pick and choose what parts of our religion you like. And I was like, well, that's what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why not? Even from a young age. But the things that I loved were the things that connected you directly, right? Prayer, love lighting candles, love. And I really was into, you know, some of the stories specifically around like Jesus and Mother Mary. Like a lot of the other characters and stuff, I'm like, eh, I don't know about you guys, but these people seem to have a, a really deep connection. And so later on, when I decided in my 20s that I didn't want to be Catholic anymore, I'm like, I'm going to keep the characters though. And angels, loved angels, archangels, you know, all these. I loved the idea of you know, when we would lose something, my grandma would be like, pray to St. Anthony. 
you know? Um, you're going on a trip, you have your St. Christopher medal. Like, I liked that there were characters for things, you know? Yeah, um, that's cool. <laughs> Archangel Michael is your protector, great. Like, my dad wore an Archangel Michael chain. So, you know, there were, there were aspects of mysticism woven in, because mysticism is really just about cultivating your own direct connection with the divine, you know, whatever you call it. So that was, that was, that was my soup. And, and confession. <laughs> confession is an interesting thing because they make you say this prayer, the act of contrition before you go, and then you tell your sins to the priest, right? But you start doing that in the seventh grade. You think I'm really telling that priest everything? No, but that was like a conflicting thing because sometimes I'd be like, I'm actually going to say this to this guy. Like, I masturbate, I have impure thoughts, like, I stole something from the grocery store. And you're like sitting there almost like waiting to be yelled at, but he just tells you to say some Hail Marys and Yeah, Alan I Fathers. was going to say, what happens then? Then you have to say some prayers. And he absolves you of your sins. And again, even at that young age, seventh grade, eighth grade, I remember being like, this is it. I'm like, I could do this on my own. So I added an act of contrition into my nightly prayers. I was like, I could, pretty sure I don't need to go to the booth and talk to the guy. I could talk to the guy, you know, and we could work it out ourselves. So you got that information yourself like you knew I don't have to talk to that guy I can talk to the guy or the maybe it's not, not that guy I knew, at this but point I, but I felt like that was certainly an option I was like why am I listening to this person in this robe that looks ridiculous yeah. that doesn't really know me or care about me and why do you think you at a relatively young age like let's pretend you were in seventh grade why do you think like you got that that you could have a direct connection and that other folks don't like do you have any idea about that? Well, one idea I definitely have is looking around at all the people in my family who were so devoted to all of these rules. Yeah. And they were disaster areas. <laughs> so, like, being a very logical, like, again, I don't I like see. to hinge everything on astrology, but as a person with a Virgo sun and a Capricorn moon, your girl, even at 12 years old, is looking around going, I don't know if this works. Right, right. The, the receipts are not here. Yeah, like, I'm just not seeing the evidence that this is a path that produces an experience I would actually want to have. Yeah. Would you identify, and I don't know if this is a phrase that you would ever use, but, like, you know, I know that you're different than your family for in a variety of ways. <laughs> and a lot of folks who, who are in my community also feel like maybe it's, like, one of these things does not is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. You know, the little Sesame Street yes, yes, yes. thing? Yes, yes, And some people call that a black sheep. Um, I, you know, I don't know. And I, I know that like you've had your own stuff with your family right and we don't have to get into all the details um although share whatever you want but like that's a really hard thing for people that is a really hard thing for people like feeling like they're the one person in their family that is different and like what are some of the tools you've leaned on or what are i think you've just like done the like i mean i say this as your friend i love you so much like i think you're a miracle you know <laughs> <laughs> like and you've done a lot of beautiful work. And for anybody who is struggling, feeling like, was I born into the wrong family? Or like, mm. I feel, and I don't know wrong family. I know you wouldn't say that at no, all. No, no, no. I know what you um, mean. But you know what I mean? Like, is yeah. there anything you might share that might be useful for them from your own well, challenges in this department? First, let me say this. As dysfunctional as a lot of people in my family are, they really loved the shit out of me. Yeah. Right, they really wanted to provide an experience that was different from what they had. So this is like, and you know, after all these years now of doing healing work and as opposed to fitness work and getting to be with people and like their deepest wounds and a lot of things, one of the things that I notice most consistently is people who have the hardest time never felt loved or deeply or truly loved. And that was not an issue for me. Right, no matter how different or how matter how weird or whatever or curious or challenging I was, my parents wanted to accept me for who I was. Now, wanting to do that and actually doing it are two different things, right? So I had a lot of mixed messaging. And this is something actually, it wasn't until later in my 30s I realized how much gaslighting happened and why one of the things that drives me to be so curious and really want to understand what makes people tick is because essentially I grew up in an environment 
where people are just like constantly gaslighting you but without realizing it like they're not doing it on purpose which to be quite honest and you know who's to say to me that's almost more mind fucking than people who are doing it on purpose because you're like but you don't even know you're actually deluding yourself yes and therefore you're deluding everyone else but because you think you're telling the truth and because you think you're being real and you think you're not like lying you're so emphatic and passionate about it and the energy behind that is so intense so for me i didn't feel like a, you know a rainbow unicorn or whatever is the, the better term for black sheep yeah, that thank people you are for using that. now um, but i always felt like i i really remember just looking around being like these people are the example of what i don't want to do and how i don't want to be you know so but again so beautiful in their own ways, right? Like so many times these dysfunctional behaviors come from having so much love to give and just not knowing how to do that in a healthy way. Um, but the mixed messaging, that was the thing that really fucked with me because they'd be like saying, we love you unconditionally, we support you, you can do whatever you want, but not like that. <laughs> that is confusing. That's a little confusing. So, you know, that affected me and what it did was set me on a path of like deep self-love and appreciation, but also reliance, which sometimes that's useful and sometimes it's really not. And so I had to kind of get in the stew of all the shadowy aspects of the like, I'll just do it myself. I'll just take care of myself. Like nobody's really actually here for me or support always comes at a cost. There's always a hook in it. So that was what the experience was like for me that I had to unpack yeah. and transmute and alchemize. So you are not alone in that feeling of like, either I have to do everything on my own, or if I, if I accept support or ask for it, it comes with a cost. Yeah. That's very common. And, and certainly like, I also wanna be honest, humans are complicated. Yeah. And the truth is like, when you have a relationship with another human, it is complicated. Mm -hmm. No matter who they are, <laughs> how much work they've done, no matter how much work you've done, like, it is true. It, it is. And just having turned 40, which is like the best, <laughs> what, are you, what are you experiencing now about self-reliance versus interdependence or other reliance or community? Like, yeah. what does that constellation look like now? What are some of the lessons you've learned about being able to receive that support from, you know, you've, you've moved, you left a life in New York, then you left a life in L.A., um, I know the pandemic was like a, a challenging time because of just like community. Yeah, so yeah, what do you isolated. what do you know now, just after your fortieth birthday, around community and support that maybe you didn't know before, and what are you still learning? Well, first of all, it took me uh, the whole of my thirties to really understand and explore the depths of my sensitivities. Being an extroverted HSP, being um highly sensitive person for those who may not know oh yes highly sensitive person um, but there's an extroverted version of that um which and even that was life-altering to realize because so many of the descriptors of highly sensitive people make it sound like you're a big introvert and i love time to myself i love my solitude but i'm not necessarily super introverted i'm just very discerning um so reckoning with my sensitivities reckoning with how you know my role in my family it was just kind of like i'll i'll transmute everybody's stuff right nobody's dealing with their shit here i'll do it because i can't deal with it just like floating around in the air so taking on other people's stuff different from a lot of people talk about being empaths where they're like feeling other people's stuff um it was more like the conflict the unspoken stuff the Again, there was so much gaslighting happening. So the things that I knew that nobody was actually acknowledging, it was kind of like that stuff. Let me, let me take that in, take that on. And so I don't do that anymore. And you know this. I'm kind of like the queen of boundaries, yeah. which rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And I'm totally I'm so comfortable with that. Yeah, because so not, like peace and contentment are like the most incredible thing when you're just used to like chaos mm. and like other people just like drama and stuff right so also realizing what was mine and what was not mine 
So these like kind of personality things or identifiers, because my family's big on like, you know, the D'Altos, like we do this, we do that. Oh, or interesting. My mom's maiden name, like, you know, we do this, we do that. Like the, the identifying with the clan, which is very like, you know, root shock or a bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, like that kind of tribal stuff, as Carolyn Mace would call it, and I'm sure many other people would call it. And so I was like, okay, I was born to you all, but this is not, this is not my family family, you know? So finding like soul family, found family, people who I could actually be myself with. And one of the things I came to realize too is that I don't need to be able to be my whole self with everybody, right? Like there are some people that I can really deeply express parts of myself with, and that's great. Like it's a miracle and a blessing to have anyone you can fully express any part of yourself with. Right, so that is something that helped me so much to realize categorically yeah. there could be people that I could be so like feed and nourish this part of myself with, but maybe not that part, and it's fine. I love that. Yeah, how freeing! So freeing. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then because the other thing it does is it it unhooks us. It unhooked me. Let me. I'll just speak from the first person, but I know this applies to other people too. It unhooked me from like needing and wanting others to be all kinds of things that they're just not 100% going to be. Right. They're not built to be that. It's not their values or it's not their priorities. That was hard for me because um, I'm a very values-driven person and I have a lot of strong stances about stuff, as you know. um, And the thing is I don't need people to agree with me about everything. And we do live in this time where that's just like a foreign concept to so many people. Like People can't fathom that I can vehemently disagree with you about something but not be like, you're fucking trash if you don't believe, <laughs> if you don't agree with me. I could be like, ah, all right, you don't agree. And then yeah. I just get to decide For how you. I want to engage with you right. based on that disparity in right. our values. And certainly I'm sure that there are like issues that if you vehemently, vehemently disagree with somebody, that would be a thousand a, percent. A, you know, there's, which we don't need to even talk about what they are, but like, yeah. There's stuff, right, that would be like, that is a deal breaker. I can't actually have a relationship with this person. Yeah. But I think you're right. In the moment we're in in history right now, um, I agree with you. Like, I think we've gone too far. Many folks have gone too far in the direction of I cannot have a relationship with someone who I don't agree with on every single point of being a human. It's so, like, because we need conflict to grow. We do. My friend Aaron Rose shared with me something because he's a permaculturist. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not as his job, but, <laughs> like, he's, he studied it. And he, there's something called the, um, the, the growth edge, which is the, the place, you know this, right? Yeah? Do you want to say it? No, go ahead. Okay. Because um, I'm going to botch it a little bit. I, so I see you doing that, but I'm going to let you, you're just going to finish, you could do this. The place where the two ecosystems <laughs> yeah. come together is the most fertile ground right. because the diversity and the difference is actually so important for fertility. Amazing, right? And you would humans, like to add to that? Well, we're like that too. Yes. Right? So, you know, that was, that was a big thing I navigated throughout the course of my 30s. And then really just right in the tail end, being 39 years old, I treated my whole year of being 39 like a portal into my 40s. And the biggest thing that came up for me that I was like, what am I still like... I wouldn't say struggling with, but what is still like very hard for me. And I was like, I need to be more discerning about who and how much access, who I give access to and how much access I give. And especially in my work, because I freaking love my work so much. And I am like a delightfully without consort person. I don't have a partner. Joyfully child-free person. I don't have children. And so, and I am not also not a workaholic, right? But I love, I have so much energy and space to pour into my work because I don't have those two pretty big other commitments that a lot of people do. And so it's just such a joy for me. It's so pleasurable for me to be able to put into me and put into my work because those two things, embodiment, really go together. Oftentimes the work I'm doing on myself is also opening me up to things that I'm going to be able to integrate into my work as well. And so just realizing, you know, I came from a super codependent family. For the most part, I've rooted out codependent behaviors and things like that. Although I always like to say, like, given the right circumstances, anyone is capable of a codependent relapse. Totally. Um, (laughs) But also just realizing, especially at this point, and I wonder if you feel this way too, we're over a decade into our businesses now, right? And also we're at our big, big age of 40. We're in our auntie years. 
And so I'm like, there's a level on which people can't fuck with me. Because, like, it's different now. Like, we've earned some stripes. We've put in work. We've developed personally and professionally to, to an extent that's like, things are different now. You know, we've put in the freaking, we're seasoned. The word is seasoned. I know. It feels so good. It feels great. It feels so good. And I really resonated with what you said on your first episode of your 40 lessons of 40 years about how you feel like you are finally at an age that you are catching up to who you've always been, that like 40 feels very appropriate and that possibly it might actually be 50, but yeah. (laughs) And she did an amazing rendition of Sally O'Malley and an homage to Sally O'Malley. Look up Sally O'Malley's SNL if you don't know what that is. Or just go listen to Elizabeth's podcast episode, which we'll link in the show notes so that you can listen to her laugh um, by herself, which is also the best part. I love how much you crack yourself up alone. I really do. Unbelievable. (laughs) the greatest. I'm so glad you picked up on. Clearly, I'm sitting in my apartment by myself. I know exactly where you're Recording this podcast. It's so good. Dying laughing. Dying laughing about Sally O'Malley. Okay, anyway. um, But like that sort of catching up to a sense of uh, wisdom or age that you've always had internally. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, what does embodiment mean? What does that mean for you? Then I have a lot more questions. (laughs) When I talk about embodiment, I'm always talking about integrating the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of yourself, bringing it all together. So it's about being able to speak your own body, what I've been calling this for years, your embodied language, your body's unique language of the senses. Because you know, there's so much stuff online about, trust your gut, listen to this. We are all gonna feel, sense, and experience things in different places at different times, depending on what is the circumstance, what's the situation, what's going on, how regulated we are in our nervous systems, how much energy we have or don't, are we distracted, are we not, all kinds of things, right? So um, learning how to speak your body's own unique language of the senses. And I like to break down the word feeling into a couple different things, because the word feeling kind of gets a blanket over a lot of different things. First of all, there's sensations, right? There's like what's hot, cold, tingling, tight. You know, there's sensations that we feel in our body. Fluttery, I have butterflies in my stomach. That's a sensation. There are often emotions associated with sensations, but sometimes we just get a hit of something that's not directly related to an emotion or a thought or whatever. Um, We're picking up on something in the environment or something like that. So like we have these physical senses and we have emotions, but then and emotions, you know, I love referring people to the feelings wheel, right? There's like five or six core emotions and then every other emotion that we could describe stems out of one of those. And then there's feeling states is what I call things like being tired, being hungry, because like that's not an emotion. Right. It's a feeling, though. And yeah. again, there's sensations that go with these things. Yeah. But I like to separate them out so, so people good. can get a sense. And again, we also live in an age where I find many people are quite lazy with language. And they'll say, I'm feeling all the feels. And you're like, okay, but what's that mean? Yeah. Right? And, and it's, it's not even It's one even of my just, least favorite phrases, actually, because it, it's, non- it's, so spe- ambiguous. it's so non-specific. It's so not specific. And listen, if you're just kind of like yeah, in... The, the range of feelings, that's fine. But, you know, it's pretty useful in a lot of cases to know what you're feeling. Mm. Even if you don't know why. We don't have to obsess over the why, but to be able to articulate. And so I also describe, there's another element of this um, when it comes to embodiment. I call it going out on an emotional limb. Developing emotional literacy, intelligence, and maturity. So these things all go together. And again, this is the school of sacred embodiment. So we add in that spiritual component and the energetic component of, okay, so you have your physical senses, but then there's also your extra senses, right? Your clairs, right? Your clairnosis, your clair, or your claircog, your, you know, all the yeah. things, clairaudient. Anyone is capable of developing those things. Some people have some things more naturally yeah. than others, but sussing out what's what is so worth the time, effort, energy, mm-hmm. and attention to be able to have yourself. You know, and then when you're navigating experiences with other people, then you know what's yours and what's theirs. Um, and so embodiment for me is all of that. All of that. All and this, so again, but if we want to put it in the concise way, it's integrating the physical, mm-hmm. mental, emotional, and mm-hmm. spiritual. 
what I love about this is you are bringing a body of work that we are not taught, even though it, I can't think of a more important skill set, because we all live in a body, we all have emotions, um, we are all energetic beings and spiritual beings, and we are not taught to navigate like our emotions, our sensations. The number of women who I hear from who start using the Do Less Planner, and it just like has a simple question about how do you feel in your body, and they'll say to me like, I just didn't realize how, like most days I'm numb because I never, no one ever asked me. We, we aren't raised in a culture that has us value. In fact, we live in a culture that has us devalue sensation, our inner knowing, and however that shows up. And we're, we're taught all kinds of ways to numb and not feel. So in your spaces, knowing that you're kind of like unpacking some gnarly stuff, um, how do you do that knowing you, you do live retreats, I know you do live stuff, um, but mostly it's online, mm -hmm. right? So how do you, what are some of the skill sets you've built and what kind of support structures do you have in place to do that in a way so you're not just like helping people unravel all this stuff and then like they don't know what to do with it and then you don't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Cause I think that like as our culture becomes more and more trauma literate and emotionally literate, um, it gets a little like, <laughs> you know, it can be. <laughs> to describe it but that's Listen, the feeling i lived in north county san diego for a little while and los angeles so what you just did <laughs> is is actually quite it's a like specific very reference ungrounded in, and then it's like yeah. you just open up all this stuff and there's no way to integrate it totally. and it's like it's not actually the safest thing no I, so in some ways now i know you do it in a safe way so yeah, i want to yeah. know about that um but also everyone has to get there somehow and this is where, you know, I have a couple different frameworks that I've developed. One of them is my Wild Soul Liberation Framework. One of them is my Embodied Self-Love Framework. And trust is in both of those frameworks. In the Liberation Framework, it's trust in general. In the Self-Love Framework, it's self-trust. And the thing is this. This might not be a popular opinion with some folks, but I've just seen it with thousands of people over the years and in myself. So I know that for some people, I would never say something is correct for everybody. But for some people, it's also a matter of trusting that if it's happening, it's the thing that needs to happen, right? If some people, if, if some people are just like bypassing their trauma and not taking responsibility for their stuff, sometimes they do need to stumble into a thing that's gonna like crack them open and then they're gonna be like, what the fuck? Because now they have to deal with it because they can't not, Yeah. right? However, is, is that like the best means? It's not. Um, so for me, when you learn about trauma, there's this great term that I love so much that comes from chemistry called titration, which is just about introducing a little bit to the system over time so the system can adjust, adapt, get used to it instead of just like blasting. So we don't do peak experiences, right? We're not, well, might people have breakthroughs sometimes? Sure, right? But everything we do is about going at the pace that works for you and inviting people to discover as they go what that pace even is. But also putting the responsibility on the person and treating them as a person who can handle whatever yes. happens in this room or during your practice, you're gonna be fine. Yes. You know, and I got you, like we're here, okay? And I'm, I'm clear about like what my scope is. I always tell people this work, this is not trauma healing. Right. It's very complimentary to trauma healing. In fact, it's so, so, it's, it's almost like an accelerant mm -hmm for trauma healing, not that trauma healing needs to happen quickly, <laughs> right? but because it, it's just, you used the word earlier, it helps you integrate. Yeah, It's so integrative. Um, and that's the thing that we also really emphasize for people. Everyone needs space to integrate. People want to rush through it because they want to be over it, but that is the only surefire way to make sure that you will prolong it. Because when you don't actually mm. face everything. And so I'm like, it's unpopular. You know, like, I'm never going to be one of these people out here with, like, millions and millions of followers. Because when people come into my world, I'm like, great. We're actually going to deal with all of your shit. It's going to take however long it takes. You know, I'm not going to act like this is some fancy, do this, everything's pleasurable. Like, we're all having orgasms all the time. Like, it gets yucky and ugly sometimes, you know. And that's just not... <laughs> 
it's not as exciting as a sell as like masturbate your way to 100k or something like that you know so feel free <laughs> knock yourself out so you spoke about something before we started recording about self-love and it's an it's a, a body of work that you're currently like body really chewing on yeah right body love and reverence but non not from a you said something it was like not from from a mystical perspective. It is from a mystical perspective. Yeah, so can you, I, I, this is not a question, but just say more. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have these movements, body positivity, yeah. body liberation, yeah. body neutrality. And uh, within all of those things, one of the things I've noticed that is, you know, never my favorite, it's certainly not the intention of the movements, but these things go in the direction of becoming very performative, right? Especially in social media and the hashtag world that we live in. And so, uh, and also none of them are coming from like a mystical place. They might go there. Yeah. They might catalyze people to get there if that's where they want to go. But everything I do is from, you know, the root is sacredness. What are we returning to? Sacredness, right? The sacredness in all of us, the sacredness in all of life. And so um, I wanted to create something to help people have this you know, when I talk about self-love, I talk about making your relationship with yourself one of the most wild and passionate love affairs of your life. So I'm like, okay, now let's make your, your relationship with your body one of the most wild, passionate love affairs of your life. Now, some people might be like, I don't want that. I'm not interested. Great. But if you're even a little bit curious, I'm like, and this is going to be a mystical process. So the pillars of body love and reverence are um, sensual healing. So we were talking about the senses Creating a relationship to sensuality that is separate from sexuality is actually super important, especially as women, because everything gets like over-sexualized and objectified um, and pornified. So, of course, sensuality and sexuality make incredible partners, but to be able to have sensual pleasure and joy that has nothing to do with sex, because, you know, there's also a percentage of the population that's not even interested in sex. So... We do sensual healing, learning how to work with your intuition, beauty as medicine, which, so like even walking in here and seeing like the plants and the setup and these little glasses and everything, I'm like, oh, the little, all these, all this beautiful stuff, it, it, there's, there's texture, there's sensation, there's energy, there's, oh, like it's a vibe, you know, that's another term that gets kind of brushed over everything, a vibe. But, you know, when you're out in nature and you're watching a sunset, you know, there's awe, there's wonder, there's a little bit of God, goddess in everything. And when you start to attune yourself to experiencing the God in everything, how are you not going to experience your body as this miraculous sacred vessel that it actually is, regardless of age, say, shape, size, condition, health, illnesses, injuries, whatever you've got going on? everyone's body is sacred, right? So we have um, the sacredness in every body and then um, energetic awareness and reverence because that was, that was such a big part of my journey and over the years as I've woven just little energetic tools into the embodiment practices, into our meditations, bringing people into awareness of like their chakras, their energy center, their aura, like the subtle energy, their subtle energy field is like, oh, there's just so much more going on here that is awe-inspiring and worthy of my reverence and respect. So it's also really fun. Again, for people who are mystically oriented, some people don't give a shit about that stuff, in which case I'm like, that's not the thing for you then, and that's fine. <laughs> but if you are, and if it feels exciting, it's like, you know, I love to say that the body is a bridge between heaven and earth, just the same way like that our heart chakra is the bridge between heaven and earth in the chakras, right? So it's like we get to be, what are you going to do with your bridge? Like, and, and how, again, like awe-inspiring, mystical, sacred, reverent, pleasurable, enjoyable, can that be in a way that allows you to transmute and transcend all the traumas, yeah. the pain, physical, mental, emotional, whatever, right? When we can also be having these experiences. So it's not a bypass because we don't dismiss, we don't not look at all the crappy stuff, but we go, look at all this shitty stuff, but look at all this incredible stuff, and they can coexist. Yeah. That's so I'm up in it right delicious. now. So I'm a little I'm obsessed. Love it. I'm like, I can feel it so deeply. It's powerful. Yeah, thank you. So God. And the sacred. 
The show is plenty, and I want to know how, if at all, does the sacred connect to your relationship with money as a business owner? I love this. So as you well know, because <laughs> I've sat in like little mastermind rooms with you all, like with some of like your friends and people are talking about like all this money and I'm like, I just don't need that much, you guys. Like, I'm fine. Like people are setting like their big ass goals and like all these things they want to do. And I'm like, I'm good with like this. Um, I, I also last year, I'm like a, again, my, my Mercury is also in Virgo, and I have all this Gemini too. Like I love, and I have teacher archetype is like everywhere. In human design, I'm a 6'2". So um, I love frameworks. Yes. I kind of just like accidentally yeah. speak frameworks sometimes, and I'm like, oh, there's a new one. And so last year I created, or actually at the end of 2021, I created what I call the Soulful Prosperity Framework, which is sustainability, sufficiency, soulfulness, and satisfaction. And so the soulfulness and satisfaction piece are what bring the sacredness in, in like a mystical way. But then the sustainability and the sufficiency are what bring it in, in a very practical way. Because it's like, what do I actually need? Again, as a person doesn't have or want a partner and doesn't have or want children, I, I can chill a bit around money. Like what's sufficient for me would probably not be sufficient for someone who has kids and is thinking about their future and education and school and all of the expenses. I mean, it's expensive to just be a person. There's all these memes now, right? That's like, you can't leave the house without spending $100, right? Can't imagine having like extra humans. I then know. you probably can't leave the house without spending kids hundreds of dollars. Kids are pricey. Listen, so when Penelope asked, this was one of the most adorable things of 2023. <laughs> Penelope asked Kate, if I could take her to shop for Ruby's birthday this year. It was a specific ask. It was specific. For Elizabeth. It wasn't like, I want to go to Target and get a present for Ruby. It was, I want Auntie Elizabeth to take me to Target. So, um, I had no idea how expensive kids' toys were. <laughs> we're in the aisle. Like, you would give him Penelope a budget. You gave me a little extra money, yeah. too, because you were yeah. like, listen, it yeah, gets yeah. a little pricey. Yeah. I was like, all right. But, and it was like 60 bucks. And I'm thinking back, well, like, when I was a kid and what totally. things were. And I really, because, again, I have no context. I have a niece, but I don't buy her, like, toys. She has plenty of stuff. I, like, do things with her. Totally. So I just had no context for how expensive the damn toys were going to be. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm on a big tangent here. But the sufficiency piece... What I love about that too, it also brings in one of my favorite things about being a mystic, which is humility, right? Like I, you know, people who have deep desires for like status and, you know, fame or attention or influence or whatever, like that stuff doesn't do it for me. You know, I am a person who's built to be like, have a microphone in my face and talk about things and like create things. And so by that nature, I have a platform and whatever. But for me, that's not about amassing more and more and more and more and more. That's just not... I don't know, that's just not what does it for me. And so um, I deeply enjoy being, I, I don't want to say like a normal person because that's not it, but it's just like I have my little one-bedroom apartment on the beach in Miami. You know, I don't, I'm not a minimalist, but I also am not a big person on stuff. And like enoughness, I love the feeling of enoughness. And even when, even when things might be a little tight sometimes, I'm like, it's still... Plenty. Look how much I have. And that's kind of a cornerstone of the sufficiency and the sustainability, which brings, which makes the soulfulness and the satisfaction so much easier to acquire. Yes. That conversation around sufficiency, I want to turn up the volume on that and just have conversations about that in more places. So yeah. thank you for bringing it. Yeah, and you know, the worlds that we came from, our, our marketing upbringing and yes. like, you know, all the different rooms that we sat in when we were, you know, 28, 29 years old. I remember being so judged because I just wasn't in a race to make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. You know, I was caring about the impacts of, you know, these marketing things. Things felt like a little scummy or weird to me. And I remember people really um, kind of dismissing anything I had to say after that. Because I, I specifically remember one person being like, I'm not interested in what you're saying because I make more money than you. And I remember being like, ooh, ooh, a thousand percent. I'll tell you who it was after. <laughs> I don't even know if this person is still like on the internet or what they're doing. Oh. But I remember being like, 
cool, bro. Like, good to know. Yeah, really. Yeah, if we're not listening to people from all perspectives, like, right? That was the permaculture, the growing edge. Yes. So, as our final question, even though I have 30 million more things I want to talk to you about, we'll do that another time. Um, If you could go back and talk to Elizabeth, like, right around the time you were graduating college, coming out into life on your own for the first time, what piece of wisdom or insight could you deliver to her about money specifically? So any kind of question like this, like what would you tell your younger yeah. self? I always have the same answer. Right. I love being me and being exactly where I am and how I got here so much. Yes. I wouldn't want anything to be different. So I wouldn't, the only thing I would say to her is you got this. Oh, yes. Because so if she did even one little micro thing differently, yeah. I might not be sitting in this like yes plush little chair with the fake plants and the pretty glass. Okay, so I'm going to ask it now. I love that answer so much. It's great. Um, What would you want my daughters to know about money? Okay, this is great. Let me think about their little faces. So there's there's just the world is weird, and you're going to meet a lot of people that are going to make you feel like you should want things that you know you don't want. And a lot of those things are gonna be attached to money. And so it's more important to know who you are and what you actually want than to have all the things that other people might make you feel like you need to want. Of course, we couldn't have gotten through without some tears. I was shocked we'd gotten this far. (laughs) Well, we did the laughter, we did the tears. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be with you. So good to drop in. Um, So if folks want to connect and learn more about your work, obviously they should go listen to your podcast. Please, please tell us all the places. Um, The podcast is called Embodied. That's its third name, and I'm probably never changing it again because that's all encompassing now. So the Embodied podcast with Elizabeth D'Alto. And I actually quit social media this year, so you can still go to my Instagram. There's a ton of stuff there, but the website is the best place, untameyourself.com. Beautiful. Thank you. Of course, all those links will be in the show notes. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening into this episode of Plenty. Isn't Elizabeth delicious? We had so much fun. I know that I am walking away. I love the frameworks, particularly the one around prosperity. I'm going to really be thinking about those four S's. Um, So please go check out Elizabeth's work. She's just, the way she thinks about things is so multi-layered. She has a lot of depth. Um, A lot of skill, a lot of insight, and uh, thanks for listening in. If you liked this episode, please screenshot it, share it on social, tag us, text a friend, let them know about it. You can go ahead, of course, rate the podcast, leave us a review. It helps get this in front of more people. It helps them access more plenty in their lives, which is better for everyone. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. The review. Subscribe to the podcast, text a friend, and let them know they need to listen in. That helps us spread the word so more people can experience plenty together. And if you want to ease your path to creating wealth, I created a money breakthrough guide for you where I interviewed over 20 of my high earning women friends. And I asked them what their biggest money breakthrough guide was. And the responses were so mind-blowing and helpful, I knew I needed to pass them along to you. This is the kind of thing that is often only shared behind closed doors, but now you can access it totally for free. So head over to katenorthrup.com forward slash breakthroughs and get the guide. Again, that's katenorthrup.com forward slash breakthroughs. And I'll see you next time for plenty.